Uh, all right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the JL Podcast. I have with me another very special guest, Natasha. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy doctor schedule to meet with little old common man me so we can <laughs> chat. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little, it's been a little crazy, but it's, I'm- all, it's, it's all good. You're, you're here now. We're going to get right into it. So um, I want to start right off. Uh, so I met you at Rutgers, right? You were in the doctor program. So, so talk, walk me and the audience through what um, field of medicine you're in and then what got you, you know, engaged with wanting to be a doctor in the first place? Yes, that's a great question. So I, so for those of you who don't know me, because I know a lot of people who are going to be listening to this probably already know me. I'm Dr. Asha Ramsey. So I am a board certified pediatrician um, and I'm specializing in adolescent medicine. And what that means is I take care of children and young adults ages 11 up to 25. Um, So that includes everything that an adolescent would need from like vaccines to like um, weight management, mental health, reproductive health stuff like um, STD testing and treatment birth control, period problems, pimples, everything. You name it, we deal deal with it. Um, So that is a newer specialty. It's really, really cool. I love it so much. I'm really passionate about it. And honestly, my interest in adolescent medicine and like my interest in working with teens started when I was a teenager myself. So back when I was in high school, I used to write for a teen magazine called Sex, Etc. And it was a magazine that was written by teens for teens. And we talked about all different types of topics related to sexual health. And through my time writing for that magazine back when I was 16, I realized that there was a huge gap in care and a huge gap in knowledge um, for young people, depending on what you looked like. So based on your race, based on where you lived, based on the state that you were in, based on the laws, based on the policies. And so that just got me really interested in trying to create programs or other ways to try to like meet that gap or change change that like environment so so real quick school everything (laughs) so real quick real quick so you said that when you were 16 you you were writing basically a sex ed magazine in high school so yes because i don't think i would have been brave enough at 15 16 to be writing about something yes. that I clearly was not well-versed or knew much so, about. Yeah, like, so, yeah. So walk, walk, walk the audience through how you even got to that point and then, like, how yeah. was that received in high school? Yeah, so actually, my my interest in sexual reproductive health started well before that. It started back when I was in eighth grade, actually. I had a really, really good gym teacher and health teacher, and his name was Mr. Overby. And anybody from New Brunswick knows this teacher, because he used to actually make us it act out the different parts of the reproductive health system and cycles. Like he would be like, okay, you're the sperm cell and you guys are going to form a circle and you're going to be the testicle and the sperm is going to travel from here to here. Oh, wow. Just say all the anatomy words. He would be like, it's called a penis and you have a penis and that's what it's called. It's not called something else. It's called a penis. And he would be like, and you have a vagina. And he would just like say, he was this older, like black gym teacher man. And he just like really nailed it. Like he was like, I want you guys to have the information that you need to live a healthy like life. So I had never, I mean, my parents are Jamaican and there was no talking about reproductive health. Like literally right. the talk was like, don't get pregnant. You can't have a boyfriend until you're 18. Like that was the talk. 
It wasn't like, let me sit down and explain things to you. Right. So he was really the first person that I met that really just like, let it, like nailed it home and was like, we're going to talk about the real deal. Because in eighth grade, people were already having sex. Yeah. Were already doing were. things that could put them at risk. And so he was like, I need to make sure that you guys have the tools and you know what to do. So I wasn't shy. I've never been a shy person. So <laughs> armed with that knowledge, I was already kind of like comfortable with those that kind of topic. And then I always loved to write. Like writing was like my escape. I had like a journal that I like wrote in ever since I was in like second grade. So when I found out that I could write and talk about sexual health, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And they would pay me to do it. I was like, oh, this is great. So that's how I ended up getting involved. Wow. And so so was it a part of school or was it something like No, this was completely outside of school. Oh, okay. Completely so, outside so... of school. Yeah. I um was in like a tutoring class and everyone knew that I liked to write. So one of the tutors actually gave me the application. He was like, Oh, you should look, sign up for this program. I heard that it's like really cool. Like look into it. And it actually is affiliated with Rutgers. So Sex Etc. is um a um organization that's under the umbrella organization answer, which is uh, organization at Rutgers that does lots of sexual reproductive health work um, across the country. Okay. So I um, I applied and I got it. And so I worked with them all through high school and even in college, I continued to work with them a little bit as like a um, a team contributor. So. so so did people that you went to school with know that you wrote for this magazine? Oh, like, yes. You Yes, oh, wow. that's insane. I used to distribute condoms in school. Oh, I, went like wow. a nerdy, I went to the nerdy school. So the school I went to was like a science magnet school. So we had like, you know, 40, 60 people in the whole school. It was okay. Cool. But I was the person that people knew, like, all right, if I need a condom, like I'm gonna go to Tasha. Because I used to distribute them all throughout the school. They didn't you nobody was gonna go to the nurse and be like, Oh, can I get a condom? Like you didn't want to be judged by the nurse, they didn't have it readily available. So I was just like distributing them. And then I had magazines. I would distribute that. Like I was just spreading sexual health knowledge. All through wow. That's, that's fascinating because, you know, in a lot of circles, that kind of attention or, or, or energy into sexual health would be completely scrutinized. You know, I'm sure parents and, and um, faculty or just whoever's in charge uh, would be very you know condemning of that kind of behavior because they they certainly wouldn't want to encourage teenagers to one talk about sex to be doing it but three to be engaging in these conversations with other people about it and that and that is part of the problem that's part of the problem across the country is that people think if you talk about it and you have the knowledge that you're going to go out and do it and really that's not the case like people are going to do it anyway teenagers are going to have sex teenagers are going to make mistakes they need to be able to have the, the knowledge and the tools to be able to know what to do next or yeah. how to protect themselves or to know when to get help. They can't do that if you don't give them the knowledge. And so just because we weren't learning about it in school in a proper way doesn't mean that people weren't doing it. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it, parents call it the talk, right? Mm -hmm. And they say that, that you need to have the talk. And I completely agree with that. I had the talk several times you know i have a jamaican father but he he was he was the kind of father who was very hands-on and was very much like no listen the world is it, there's a lot of things that happen in the world you need to know these things because what you're not going to do is roll up to the house talking about you made some mistakes 
now I got to go talk to your mom about this stupid mistake you made. Right. And now you messed up everything. That's not happening. So right. let me just let you know and tell you what this is. And hopefully you make good decisions, which I I always appreciate it, especially as I got older. Yeah. I got into college, things like that, because, you know, I saw a lot of people do a lot of things. And and when you're in college, you, you do stupid stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I do plenty of stupid stuff. Yep. Um, but there's certain things that you just you can't go back to. Yes. Right? You, you go back from, I should say. Yeah. And yes. thankfully I avoided a lot of that. Yes. Um, and that specifically and directly correlated to the, the conversations I had, but not just my father, but my mother, but specifically my dad. Yeah. Um, I think the so, other thing too, though, there's a differential between how parents sometimes have that conversation with boys and how they have that conversation with girls. Find right. that, you know, boys and their dads have these conversations. If a young man starts having sex, it's like, oh, look, go ahead. Good job. Right. Like a girl, right. it's like, no, you have to preserve it. Like, you can't. Like, this is sacred. Like, you know, it's like a different type of conversation. So yeah. I just think, you know, that just kind of speaks to, like, the difference sometimes between the way that parents um have the conversation with their kids and sometimes they don't have the conversation at all like no, no matter what gender you are you know so you know it's one of the things that I noticed too as now as a doctor working with parents and their kids um I'll ask the kids like you know did your parent talk to you about puberty like do you know what's happening to your body and the kid will look at me like a deer in headlights and be like what do you mean I'm going through puberty and I'm like haven't you noticed like all this? <laughs> like so it's but you know, it's funny because yeah. when you're going through things in life, especially at that age, I'm trying to remember back, it's been a while, but <laughs> you, things happen and you're just like, okay, I, you don't know what to do with yeah. it or how to process it, right? Yes. You, like, especially because, you know, I think we, we forget this a lot of times, your mind is still developing yes. at the same time as the rest of your body is. So your mind may not necessarily be able to wrap its head around all these changes you're going yes. through. Yes. Absolutely. And so if you don't have any sort of outlet to have healthy dialogue and conversations, it can really be detrif- detrimental and manifest itself in a lot of negative ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why it's super important that parents use the right words. Don't call it a PP. <laughs> don't call it a down there. Don't call it a little JJ. Call it what it's called. It's called a vagina and it's called a penis. Just say the words. And there's lots of data that shows that parents having that conversation, those conversations, those open conversations, not just the talk, but multiple conversations about sex and about um, consent and about communication and relationships and all those things like that is what empowers their children to be able to make those good um, and healthy decisions. Right. I agree. Now, now, um, one of your big slogans, you have a lot of big slogans. I was checking out some of your stuff is is anti-racism in medicine right yeah. so i want to i want to get into this so what are some of the challenges that you've seen um being a black woman in these spaces in terms of racism and sexism yes. that, that you had to deal with yes so i will say that the intersection of being a black woman in medicine is very interesting because there are times that things happen to me and i'm like did that happen because i'm a woman or did that happen because i'm black or did that happen because i'm both <laughs> Like, right, start to right. tease out sometimes um but you know it's we get it from all different angles we get it from patients i walk in the room and i'm like hi i'm dr ramsey and i'll be talking to the family and then they're like wait you're the doctor and i'm like I'm dr ramsey like what how other way what other ways do you need me to say it 
Um, So, or you'll get it from like, you know, I've definitely had nursing do the same thing. Like they came up one time I had a nurse come up to me. She goes, Oh, are you the mom? And I'm like, no. And she's like, Oh, are you the aunt? And I'm like, I clearly have on my ID badge and stethoscope. So wrong again. I'm actually (laughs) in charge of the team. I'm the resident. So no. (laughs) And then she's like, Oh, I never met you before. So you proceeded to call me a parent (laughs) of one of the children. Right. It, uh, rather than asking who yes, you were, exactly. right, she made a general assumption yes. that you weren't there Absolutely. to be in charge. All types of things. <laughs> all types of things. So definitely there's um, this intersection that's very special being a Black woman in medicine. Um, but I think it also means that I have lots of strengths because I come from, I, I can relate to my patients. When my patients say, I don't know if I want to start birth control because I heard that it can like mess up your body or blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say to them, like, oh, no, 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 you're completely wrong. That's not true. Like, why would you think that? I'll say to them, I understand why you think that. Because our country and our medical system has a history of giving you false information and doing things to harm your body and harm other people. So I understand why you why you would think that. But I'm here to tell you that that is no longer true. But it's right. different when it comes from me than when it comes from someone else. I have parents and other people say stuff like, what would you do if it was your kid? What would you do for yourself? Like, what would you do for you? And people trust me. Um, so I think, and also I come from humble beginnings. I'm the first one in my family to go to college. The first one in my family to go to medical school. I didn't, didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I had lots of support at Rutgers, like shout out to the Odesis program and all my like Odesis people. Um, and for those of you who are interested in medicine or pre-med, Odesis is a program at Rutgers University where they give you all of your science books and they help you with all your science courses and they help you with your MCAT and they help you to get into medical school. So I was very lucky to have all of that support, but I didn't know what I was doing until I was in it. I was like, wait, what do you mean I have to pay $1,000 for this test? What do you mean? Right. Like, what is that? Like, I there was so much things that I just didn't know. And then imposter syndrome, feeling like you don't belong, feeling like you know, they, they made a mistake. I remember one time I had a lecture that I had to go to and they had our names on different lists and different room assignments. And my name wasn't on the list. I was like, oh my God, I knew it. Uh, right, right, <laughs> I knew right. I wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, you're really hitting on something in terms of imposter syndrome, right? We, there's this, this, I don't know if it's like an or it's just a thing where, and I think a lot of times it can be subconscious where we don't even believe we belong in these spaces yes. and we do right yes. and we work and that, twice as hard sometimes to get in those spaces well what a, a big part of that right is just the overall lack of education of, of the contributions that black people have made yes. in all areas of the country but particularly to medicine yes. right? not even just within the united states but also historically yes. throughout time right all the things in africa that we've done um and I, we could go through a litany of examples yes. but those yeah. sort of things examples instances aren't taught to us right consistently and so we grow up assuming that when we go to the doctor the doctor is not going to let them right they're not going to be able to understand offering a reference right and i grew up in an affluent community but that doesn't mean when you walk into somewhere and there's nobody black oh it's just fine i feel comfortable here you know um you want to be able to especially when it comes to medicine right this is our body this is our time you only get one yeah um it, it would really be great for a lot of our people to be able to walk into these spaces and say, oh, here's somebody that looks like me that can relate to me so I can just be 100% raw and tell them every single thing that's on my yes. mind. 
right? Because a lot of times we go to the doctor and we, we may be having ailments, issues, whatever the case is, and either we speak on them and they get dismissed, yes. or we don't really feel comfortable to bring up, hey, you know what? I've been having this pain, you know, in my left testicle for at four months, yeah. you know, like what should I do? Yeah. You're just like, I can't talk about this. We're, I'm not comfortable saying this, exactly, me, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. It's the case, it's is. so true. That is so true. Um, and I think that that's why it's super important. So, for me, when I talk about anti racism in medicine, it's, it's multi pronged. So, not only do we need to increase diversity in medicine, um, that is one way to combat race um, racism in medicine is by having more people who are from different backgrounds in medicine. We need more black doctors. We need more Hispanic doctors. We need more doctors who look like and represent the country. So that's the first thing is like increasing access um, for people who are interested in medicine. So that's something I'm really big on. I'm really big on mentorship. I'm really big on like helping other people who are interested in medicine, because I know for me, like if I didn't have people help me, I wouldn't have made it. So that's number one. And then number two, we need to change the spaces that we're in. Once you're in there, you need to change it. You can't just be like, oh, like I'm the black girl here. I'm just going to sit. It's going to be all right. Like, I'm just going to like keep on going. Like, unfortunately, there's the black tax and we have, you know, almost this like duty or responsibility to try to continue to make those spaces a safe and inclusive environment for the people that come behind us. So have to get right. people there like we also have to make sure that it's a safe environment for black and hispanic and other people of color to be able to flourish so that's yeah. the other piece and a, and a big challenge that, I, that i've just seen in my you know limited time on this earth is a lot of times we just don't know how to get access into some of these programs right how to get the funding yeah. how to get the support and and i've also found that you know, we won't even be pushed into these fields because, you know, maybe maybe parents don't know, you know, counselors, uh, yep. they don't push these kind of things. There's a lot of very talented, you know, black and brown uh, girls and boys who would do very well in the medical yep. field that just never get exposed to right. it or pushed in any way, shape or form or, to see if they could take it. Right. Or, or have the resources to, to be a doctor. Right. It is extremely expensive. study and they looked at the average income for um the parent of a medical student and it was like a hundred and something thousand dollars a year people who go to medical school have money because in order to go to the medical school you have to do well in college which means you have to go to a good college you have to be able to afford tutoring services you have to be able to do well on your sat you got to do well on your mcat you got to get more study materials you got to get into med school and like you have to interview interviewing at med school is expensive like it's a lot it just accumulates all money i had no idea i went into this literally for one of my licensing exams my dad had won the lottery and that's how i paid for it i had no idea that i was gonna have to drop 700 dollars for a test he called my dad and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do and he was like i just won a lottery so here you go (laughs) that's all he got Like we're laughing about it and it's great and it's amazing, but it's a very real struggle and challenge for a lot of black folks, right? You know, everything costs money and that's by design. It's, it's, it's a, it's a way and a mechanism and a means to keep people from being able to get access, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you want more doctors in the, like it just in the world, right? People are always going to get sick. They're always going to need care. 
So why why wouldn't there be ways and means to, to give people barriers. opportunities? Exactly. Yeah, to be able to get access to these things to be able to excel, it, you know, yep. it, it doesn't it it doesn't make it any doesn't. sense. It so doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. So so. I want to talk about your the platform that you've created on social media that I think is great. Oh, thank I'm, you. I'm really, I'm really into it. I'm gonna buy some merch. I haven't yet. Please don't be mad at me or judge me. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I swear. It's a pandemic. It's been rough, but I'm gonna do it. It's so it's called Gore, just Die, yes. right? That's the, that's that's your kind. That's like my um, my brands. Right. That's your brand. So so talk to me about what that is and and what led you. To start that yes so the name gorgeous once again eighth grade was a very critical time in my life it, it sounds the name like it. gorgeous started in eighth grade so you know back in the day everybody used to like draw and doodle and like write little nicknames for themselves and all my friends had cute like little names like dime with a y of course and like you know, all these different like little princess and this, that, and the third, like all these like little like nicknames for themselves. So I, I come up with right. one too. And I, you know, to be cool, you have to misspell it, right? It couldn't be spelled the right way. It had to be misspelled. So I came up with right. gorgeous. At the time, obviously I was like an awkward, like, you know, buck tooth, just kind of teenager. Like I didn't feel gorgeous at the time, but I faked it till I made it, you know? <laughs> that's where the name initially came from so I used to like draw that all over my notebooks and like doodle and all these other things um, and then obviously the social media thing blew up and so I was like oh I'm just using the nickname that I've been using so then I created you know my little Instagram account and it was like gorgeous one and on my journey I was on my journey to becoming a doctor and then once I became a, a medical student I changed it to gorgeous doc so that's kind of how gorgeous doc evolved Gorgeous Doc okay. as an entity has gone through many, many changes. So like I was saying, okay. writing has always been something that's therapeutic for me. So I used to write when I was all through high school, all through, you know, like, like my elementary years, a little bit in college. I started writing less because I was pre-med and I was, you know, focused on that. Um, but when I got to residency and med school, I didn't write as much either. But when I got to residency, um, I revisited that as like a coping me mechanism and strategy for myself. And so I started blogging. So that's when I started the Gorgeous Doc blog. So I started blogging about right. my experiences. And I also started to do artwork again. I had always loved drawing and painting. So I started doing that. And then I was like, oh, maybe I could like sell some of my artwork on like pro make products with my artwork. So then <laughs> I created the Gorgeous Doc shop and started making like coffee mugs and journals and other things with my original artwork. And then, <laughs> I'm telling you, it continued to grow. And then in March, when the pandemic hit, I realized I had no coping strategies. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't have any way to like emotion. So I started drawing again. And also I felt very helpless because like I mentioned, I'm in adolescent medicine. And so teenagers were not getting COVID, but they were still getting STDs. They were still getting pregnant. They still were having mental health issues more so than they were prior to the pandemic. They still had all these needs. And because everything had kind of shut down, it was very difficult for us to reach them. So how right. us to reach teens then through social media? So I was like, all right, I got to pick this up. So then I started doing more 
um, sexual health education and, and sexual health um, topics on my Instagram account. Um, and, and that's when I realized I was like, this is what Gorgeous Doc should be about because this is literally who I am. This is who I've always been. I've always been a sexual health educator. I've always been an advocate for teenagers. I've always been passionate about adolescent medicine. So why not marry that with this brand that I'm trying to build? And my yeah, art yeah. skills and started to create um, reproductive anatomy and other sexual health topic, you know, artwork so that I could better get the message out to young people about their health and their bodies. And I couldn't find anyone else doing that kind of work where they were creating images that looked like Black people. So it, it really just all kind of like evolved and all these skills that I had kind of just like all morphed into one and became gorgeous doc. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, it's, it's, so it's dope. I, I, I really appreciate the visual images and um, the exposure that you put out there and making it a more comfortable conversation, right? Like you actually, and like all the, it's all, you know, black body yep. parts, right? So there's more of a connection, yep. like, oh, it's a black penis, this looks yep. like mine. Oh, this is what the, the uh, urinary yep. tract looks like. Okay, cool. Like it, it, it makes you feel more comfortable engaging yeah. with it because it's more exactly. relatable, right? Which is the key, which is why I think it's fantastic. So what has been your biggest challenge with, with that platform? That Yes, seen? the biggest challenge I find is time. So I have all these ideas. I have all these goals. I have all these things that I want to do. I'm like, oh my God, I can talk about this and talk about that. <laughs> but I just the time because I like I said I'm still in training to become an Alice medicine specialist and so training is hard you are spending a lot yeah. of time actually doing patient care um and so that has been the hardest thing is me trying to balance my wellness and saying like you know what today I'm actually going to take a break and I'm not going to do anything um and being productive um, and so it's been really hard balancing the time. And then the second thing, the other challenge is reaching teenagers because I am a 30 something year old woman and not all teenagers want to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been, you know, trying other way, you know, reaching out to other people who work with teenagers um, to try to distribute some of the work that I do or directly having teenagers use some of my, my material but that has definitely been a challenge. I'm um, trying to target that specific population. Yeah, I, you know, I, it, it's interesting because we're so far removed from that yes. time period now that we can't we can't really relate to teenagers at this point. We're not into the same stuff. I, 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 yeah. I know anything. Our music tastes are different. That's that's what sometimes sure. all these little sometimes artists, sometimes I will say. For I'm me, most of the time, I can't. All these no. little, little Percocet, little, little, little acid, little ecstasy, <laughs> little popping circumstance. I don't. I can't keep up. With all I know. Things. I can't like, keep I up don't. either. But there's certain. There's there's some you know overlap. Like Drake. I'm like okay. I know that song. Or like or Cardi B. I get some of their right. references because you have to remember a lot of the references for the teens that I work with come from like hip hop or like the hip hop culture. So when they something, like yeah. when they go, oh, I'm like, I know what that is. I'm like, that's Cardi B, you know? Like, I'm not that behind, you know what I mean? Meanwhile, my colleagues right. are like, right. uh, what is she about? What is she referring right. to? And I'm like, don't worry about right. it. Right. <laughs> 
Well, so so I I claim like the Drakes of the world, um, like like a Chris Brown. Like yes. that. To me, that's us sure. because we're 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 yeah. essentially the same age. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm talking about yeah. all the other artists, like the little guys, like, you know, the little babies, not- and the baby babies, <laughs> all these little babies, and I can't. Which, which, for the record, I rock with a lot of these little babies, my dude. Like, I love, I love all his stuff. Yeah, I'm talking about some of these other people, like the little Percocets and all that. I, mm, y'all can have all of that. I'm cool. I got about two songs in me. That's the, that's the cutoff. Like, if I'm, if I'm in the you bar, know? you got one, yeah. two. Okay, go to something. Else. You, you can go to Ariana Grande if I can't just pick this off. I can't. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't. So. My bad. We getting off topic. So I wanted. I want to circle back to, yeah, mental health, right? So, so black mental health has gained a lot of momentum and become a very yes. big focal point uh, in our communities, which is great. So, so talk to me about what that looks like in your field, and and what are some things that you face dealing with adolescents and this new kind of exposure we're having to to you know, like black adolescent yes, mental that's, health. Yes. Now. So I will say definitely um, mental health with adolescents. So adolescence is a time where there's a lot of changes in general. So you had kind of alluded to this earlier, but there's a lot of changes that happens to the brain. And also developmentally, there's a lot of changes that happen in like early, middle and late adolescence. So adolescence is a time where we see a lot of mental health issues develop. Anxiety, depression, OCD, eating disorders, like all those things tend to develop within that range of that group. So I am constantly screening for diagnosing and treating mental health issues. Like, like I said, depression, anxiety, and things, and um, eating disorders. So um, for Black youth specifically, there is a huge gap. So Black youth are less likely to be diagnosed, they're less likely to be treated, they're less likely to be connected with care. Um, And we also have to remember that some of our other frontline people are teachers and schools. They are also less likely to be diagnosing them and treating them. There are some schools where Black students attend where there's more security guards or there's more police officers than there are therapists or counselors or workers. So there's definitely a gap. Um, And I think the other thing too is Black youth are perceived differently than other youth. So people will see a Black youth or a Black girl or a Black boy who's like angry or aggressive and not think about what is like the underlying thing that's causing them to be that way and not realize that that's actually a presentation of their depression or anxiety or PTSD or trauma. So definitely it's a huge... um, a huge issue that doesn't get enough attention. I actually, um, and then also when you look at specific subsets within that population. So when you look at like LGBTQIA plus black youth, there's even more of a discrepancy with them getting treatments or getting identified or getting the help that they need. So it's definitely a problem. It's definitely, definitely something that I, make it a point to bring up to all my patients. Like I've had patients say like things like, um, you know, I just get angry all the time at people and I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, well let's screen for depression. I'll ask my patients, like, how have you been dealing with COVID and with racism? Because that's also happening at the same time. (laughs) 
So I, I yeah. blatantly yeah. bring when it I, up to I my patients. While there is a lot of momentum of Black mental health, it's more momentum in terms of conversations. And those conversations aren't necessarily translating in right. the way that we want them to yet, right? Um, we don't, like you said, to your point, screening for some of these things isn't necessarily as happening yeah. in a lot of these spaces. And especially when you're in, when you're in um, situations where you're the only person who looks like you, right? If all your counselors are yes. white, if your doctors are white, if, if you live in if you live in communities where it's you and maybe four or five other black people, you may not be getting the sort of one-on-one mm-hmm. -on -one diligent right. time and attention to look at addressing these yeah. things from a different angle than, than you probably yeah. need yeah. to get. Right. And, and a lot of the things that we talk about just as black people that we're exposed to in this country that other folks mm -hmm. are not like microaggressions. Right. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been told, that I, not, it's, it hasn't been enough time. time, but certainly enough to where it's an issue. Enough time where, you know, people have said, oh, you're, you know, you're coming yep. up very aggressive. Um, you know, you yep. come across as intimidating. Anybody who knows me knows I'm the biggest teddy bear in the world. I'm, I'm not that I'm harmless, but like I'm pretty harmless. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and to have to constantly walk right. into this line of asserting myself, but also holding back because you right. don't want to be labeled. Uh, it, it, it can be extremely stressful when you're a teenager and you don't, yeah, you don't even understand the totality of what yes. all these things are doing to you. It's just another heightened layer other than just being a regular teenager. Exactly. Off your exactly. Hormones. And like, also, black it, youth can't, can't make the same mistakes that other youth do. When a black, youth, when a black kid does something, it's looked at as, you know, this adult did this thing. Or you know they're 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 seen as as older than their counterparts. Uh, they're held to a different standard right. when it comes to um, being punished or being reprimanded for the same things that someone that's the same age as them but is a different skin tone would do, and is developmentally appropriate. Like sixteen year old doing something dumb right. is not a surprise. <laughs> So it's right. really, it's really, right. it's not good. It's not good. And that's the reason why I offer therapy to all of my patients. When I see my patients, they're coming in for a runny nose and a cough or whatever. I'm like, if I look, if I'm talking to them and they're giving me the vibes, I'm like, are you okay? Like, what's, tell me, like, right. you didn't come here for this today. I know, but you know, let's talk about it. Like, let me connect you with a, with a therapist. And a lot of my patients would be like, oh, I don't want a therapist. I don't want to talk to nobody. And I'm like, a therapist's job. A therapist's job is not for you to just go and talk to them. Their job is to help you develop skills. So that you run into this issue again, yeah. you have the tools to try to like work through it on your own. And like when they hear that, they're like, "Oh!" And I'm like, "We're all struggling right now. We all need a therapist. So don't feel like there's yeah. something wrong with it, you." Therapy is such a therapy is such a trigger word in a lot of communities but i can only speak for ours specifically mm -hmm. it's still such a buzzword um in our community as soon as you say something like therapy everybody's kind of on their heels because and this is more for a black woman i think than black black men even there's this notion strong. that you just have to be mm -hmm. strong and able to yep. figure it all out on your own because we've been conditioned to believe that that's what we should do right we've had this overwhelming burden to carry of being black and having to deal with all these things and all these issues. And so we've been taught historically, you just need to figure out a yep. way to deal with it. Right. And a lot of times it manifests itself in different ways. What you think? Yep. Alcoholism, mm -hmm. drug addiction, 
um, you know, um, men mm-hmm. who, who beat their wives or, or are very uh, aggressive, physically, exactly. you know, violent, whatever the case is, a lot of that can be attributed directly to the manifestation yep. of trauma and, and things that that just never get addressed. And you're just you're just told you need to be able to figure out how to deal with this on your own. You don't a therapist. It's it's labeled as yeah. some sort of. And I think I think honestly, right? with the pandemic, I think we're moving in a different direction and and in a good direction. I think now people have realized more than ever your wellness and taking care of yourself in every way is critical because we learned very quickly that no one cares about us. Our us. They don't care about you. <laughs> So you're like, if I'm gonna take care of myself then. I'm gonna I'm going to take care of myself because you clearly don't care about me. When everything when everything hit the fan, we we saw people's true colors. You're like, oh, I'm it's visible to you. Right. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because this is a great segue into our next talking point. So um, we recently yes. had oh a my general gosh, election. Right? So much. A, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So so it's it's just a lot of people. I actually had to had to reach out to folks the week of yes. just to, for mental health, just to check up on them because I I knew they were struggling with it. So I wanted to to talk about one your initial thoughts on 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 how it went and what has transpired since. I wanted your yeah, point of view. Um, it's a hot mess. <laughs> so I will say that you know I'm very relieved with the results and kind of where we are, like, as far as like what we were able to accomplish um, as a country, um, I think that we still have a lot. So let me talk about first where we were. Um, Our past president um, was a huge issue for a lot of my patients. So a lot of the people that I take care of are um, people of color, LGBT, QIA plus. Um, so a lot of the policies and then also reproductive, you know, a lot of my patients have reproductive reproductive health needs. Um, so a lot of the the policies and problems that were caused by his leadership were problematic. And then you throw a new virus on top of that, and it was it the way that it was handled by our government was atrocious there was no leadership literally depending on what state you were in there were different rules different laws different things people were passing through from state to state some places were open some places were closed some places were masked some places don't i trained in new york city i have a lot of friends that still live there i have friends who have lost all multiple family members from covid like it the way that it like just swept across the country and the way that our leadership downplayed it and also made it seem as though it wasn't a big deal and that we had it under control and that our economy was at stake and that was more important than human lives was just completely wrong. So I, I just think it was a complete failure in many ways. So, um. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 unfortunately you know what ha- what happens a lot of times i think is no matter what organization you're in if something happens at the very least you want to see somebody step up and lead in some capacity right. whether it's right wrong 
or in, yes. or, or you're indifferent to it. You want people like to see somebody at the helm, yes. taking charge and saying, you know what, this is what we're gonna this do. Is the problem, this is what we're gonna do. I I, I may not have all the answers, but th- we're gonna start moving in a direction to try yep. to help solve this problem, right? At the pe- pe- I, I've I've learned that people in general a lot of times are just cool yep. with that, right? And even in places that I've worked before you know a ceo or, or a boss will come out and say mm-hmm. we're gonna do this and i'm like that's stupid charge. you know what yeah i appreciate the fact <laughs> that you're taking charge to go right. so we can go do this and then however it turns right. out okay but at least you stepped up to do that and unfortunately as a country we didn't get nope. that in the capacity nope. that we needed it to wow. and um there the the fallout from that yep and we're still paying honest. for those mistakes that's where we are now so so my follow-up question was actually going to be uh, where do you see, you know, politics and, and the medical field intersect, but it sounds like you already just kind of answered that because you're essentially saying that some of the policies that were put in place are emphasized directly 100%, impacted 100%. Your, your patient. Group. And also um, you have to remember this rhetoric of hatred and of bigotry and racism that has been, you know, um, heightened during this time has also had lots of impacts on my patients and their mental health and their well-being and their safety. I literally had a um, 16-year-old, actually, no, he's 18, 18-year-old autistic male. He's this big, black, just lovely young man. And he's just like, just like you said, just a gentle giant, but he's like 6'2". And he's the sweetest person. But if somebody didn't know him, they would be intimidated by him. And he told me in clinic and literally dropped a tear and said, I'm afraid to go outside because I don't want to get shot by the police. Come on now. I'm right. supposed to live a normal life with that kind right. of worry on his shoulders. You know what I'm saying? So, right. you know, it, it goes beyond just the policies. It also goes into the culture that he created um, with that kind of like behavior and the things that he was saying and doing. But it's important as a doctor to recognize, like, yes, I could fix your blood pressure. Like, I could, like, fix your, like, cut. I can treat your whatever, cough. But I'm not looking at the bigger picture of right. what is leading to you developing that in the first place. I'm not really advocating for you. Because I could treat each individual person. But if I advocate for something on a policy level, I could touch so many more people. So as a doctor, it's important to understand. As a person, it's important to understand there's different levels and different spheres of influence. And if you're able to infiltrate and do something that can impact more people, that is going to have a bigger impact. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you you know, there's there's sugar-coated cover-ups what? for an issue, right? Oh, you're, you're, you're having back pain, take this aspirin, you'll feel better. Well, as opposed to deep diving and saying, okay, so what's actually causing your back to be in pain in the first place? But I want to touch on something. So you brought up policy. So is that something that Absolutely. you're really looking to get Absolutely. involved in? 100%. Let me tell you, I got bit by the policy like bug. <laughs> I got bit by the policy bug. So recently, I um, have been doing a lot of work around menstrual uh, poverty, around period poverty and menstrual justice. So making sure that People who are menstruators have access to menstrual products um, because in the U.S. in some places in different states, depending on what state you live in, there's actually additional taxes that are put on menstrual products and they're taxed as luxury products. Um, They're not. Yes. Yes. They're taxed the same as cigarettes in some places. 
Cigarettes and menstrual products are not the same. You, you don't ask to menstruate. Oh. Like, that's just a normal bodily function. That's like putting a tax on toilet paper. You know, like, that's a normal yeah. thing that you use. I mean, there are taxes on toilet paper, but you get my point. Like, it's a thing that people do. And the other thing of is, course. Of course. it then creates, it, it creates inequities. Because if you are in, uh, somebody who's in poverty, and most of the time, people of color and young young girls who live in poverty are most affected. You have to choose between, am I going to buy groceries or am I going to buy pads? And it shouldn't be that way, especially for a school-aged kid who is trying to like further their education. Um, and on a global level, I'm, I have a huge interest in global health, and that's like one of the other pieces of what I do. On a global level, it's a huge problem, and it interferes with girls' ability to go to and finish school. So recently I had the opportunity to um, testify for a bill that they're trying to pass in D.C. to make schools um, provide menstrual products to all the students, um, like in dispensaries, in the bathrooms for free. So that was a really cool experience. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God, if they pass this bill, I like contributed. <laughs> <laughs> so so how did so how did you get to that? How did you even get to a stage where you were you were brought into this fold? To, well, to I had been talking about menstrual and- poverty. Everyone knew that I was the person that was talking about it. And when the opportunity came up, they were like, oh, Tasha's right. the expert on this. And they like connected me with the um, individual at my job who was um, going to have, I spoke on behalf of my organization. So it really came about because I had been talking about yeah. it. And then it's so funny because recently Scotland um, passed a law to make menstrual products free everywhere in the country. Um, and I want to say like at least 20 people sent it to me. They were like, look at this. Cause they knew I was talking about it. They knew that it was about. So I think really yeah, the yeah, opportunities yeah. come to you and like falling in your lap when people know what you're doing, which is why I try to be very vocal about my passion for adolescent medicine, my passion for anti-racism in medicine, my passion for, you know, sexual health and art and co- combining all of those things. So that way people know, like, I'm the person you come to if you wanted to have that conversation. Right, right. Now it's dope. And it's, it's really dope that, you know, one of the things I think people in America, <laughs> let me not generalize people in America like this, but we don't understand that a lot of other oh my gosh, 100%. do things yeah. better than we do. Right. I, I feel like that's just such a... Yeah. a misunderstood narrative that mm-hmm. the country paints right like we're the best at everything mm-hmm. we do everything better than everybody else we're, we're top dog you know alpha 24 7 365 366 <laughs> on a leap year type nonsense like it, you know what i mean and uh just something as simple right as scotland making those products free for everybody all the time is such a it's gonna have such a yes. huge trickle down impact for marginalized exactly. and underrepresented exactly. communities, right? Because to your point, I, I, I mean, I knew this, right? But I guess I didn't know it in the fashion that you're explaining it to me. But something as simple as having access to these products for people is a challenge. How, how do you psychologically yeah. navigate through that? Am I going to eat? Am I going to take care? Like why? Am I going to get back? Why do you even have to have that con- like conversation with yourself? Be... <laughs> yeah. Right. I think now though people I think after this election like we as the as United States have definitely lost lots of respect from lots of different countries 
and places that used to put us on a pedestal and stay like, mm. oh, look at America and how they do things. Like we should do things like them. They literally were shaking their head and going, oh my. Listen, we're probably going to be one of the last countries yeah. that other countries actually let us travel to. <laughs> like they're going to be like, from where? Well, yeah, they're, they're going to be like, we have restrictions. Like uh, July, August, nah. We letting everybody from the you know the Caribbean come in. They've been coming in since yeah. April, but y'all y'all gotta sit around to the end of the summer. You not? It's so true. It's y'all can't true. come because how 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 we mishandled this entire situation and you know who we yeah. had at the helm in charge for the last four years. We've we've a lot we've, of we've respect. Lost a lot of good graces with a lot of. Fun. Yeah, that's un- that's unfortunate. So I wanted I wanted to to take the last couple minutes that we have. And just give you an opportunity to promote, you know, your platform or anything else that you kind of want to promote. Yeah, I think um, I am really excited to see where Gorgeous Doc is going to go. Like I said, it's something that has continued to kind of morph and grow over time. Um, And I just started drawing these like anatomy images and doing a lot of this Instagram kind of like sexual health and and advocacy and adolescent health outreach over the past couple of months, like since like maybe April. Uh, And to see like how much it's grown has really been awesome. So I think I just want people to continue to look out for the next steps for Gorgeous Doc. I'm hoping to put together some like more health resources that people can go and download and that they could, you know, teachers can use to have images that represent um, the students that they're teaching. And even use some of these images and stuff on a global scale. Lots of the work that's done in like Africa and South America um, and in India and like other places in Southeast Asia where people have darker hue. I'm hoping that my, you know, work can spread all over. Um, So if people can go to my Instagram account, gorgeousdoc, G-O-R-J-U-S-D-O-C, and give me a follow. Let me know what you think. Comment if you think I did something. Right. <laughs> she, she's very interactive and because in visual. Yep, I don't. I don't sugarcoat it because so just we need to be, uh, Nah, yeah, it's not a peepee on there. It's a penis. I'm it's surprised Instagram didn't uh, block it or something like that. Oh nah! If 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 forty five can can tweet uh, all the nonsense that he gets every day, there's no reason why you can't put the the male yeah. and female reproductive yeah. systems on display. We need yeah, that. I've definitely we seen don't his nonsense trap, all day. I'm like, oh okay, y'all gonna just put this on Instagram? Y'all better not block my puberty like my puberty posts, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm reporting everybody. <laughs> You're right. If y'all gonna let the third chance go, y'all gotta let this. Healthy, exactly. Exactly. Information fly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's dope. No, that's dope. That's dope. Well, listen, I thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to following your, your organ and yeah, I can't wait for what, this what podcast to come out. I'm 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 gonna listen to it and see how bad I sound. <laughs> oh boy here we go come on now the self that is she's been praising herself praising herself all this time and she's gonna throw some doubt in that terrible terrible oh man i will take thank you Tasha, let me know again. you want me to come back and, if there's uh, anything you want to talk about specifically any adolescent related topic anything sexual health reproductive topic let me know i'm all ready <laughs> all right cool cool
cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you.